Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will follow at that time. If you should require assistance during this workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Carolina. I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's 10th Annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. This is part two of our four-part series, and today's program, the focus is going to be on recapturing joy and finding meaning. Um, that will be the title of our program today, and we are delighted with your response to our program today. Now, this is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, Live Strong, American Cancer Society, Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And it really is that collaboration and your interest in this topic that has brought so many of you on the call today. And we have on the call today over 3,156 people. So there's a lot of you on the call today. And the majority of you come from all over the United States. And we do have international participants from Canada, China, Jamaica, India, Malaysia, Portugal, the Philippines, Trinidad and Tobago, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, the Virgin Islands, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world, and it's really a credit to each of you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, today's program is made possible by support from the National Cancer Institute and Live Strong. And I'd like to take a moment and turn your attention to all the materials you received from Cancer Care. And those materials is information about our speakers and their presentations, the topics they'll be covering. There's also wonderful information from all of our different collaborating organizations for you to have as resources. And there's a wonderful Facing Forward series that the National Cancer Institute um, uh, publishes, and that's a wonderful thing. If you haven't seen it, to go ahead and, and get that um, for free. That's a wonderful uh, booklet series. Now, there also is an evaluation form in your packets, and I would ask you for a moment, or in your materials, and I would ask you for a moment to complete those evaluation forms at the end of today's program. When you think about it, who but each of you can tell us what we should be offering in these programs? Indeed, we are actually starting to think about our program for next year, our 11th annual series, and we are already looking for your topics and the suggestions that you make that we will then use those topics in planning our program for next year. Indeed, this year's program was planned based on the, your recommendations last year of topics that you felt were important and helpful to you and you want us to cover. So we try very hard to implement both in our survivorship series and in all of the programs that Cancer Care does any of your recommendations in our programming. Now, I would like to introduce my co-moderator for today's program, Dr. Lynn Paget. Dr. Paget is Program Director, Office of Cancer Survivorship, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences at the National Cancer Institute. And it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Paget, who's going to say some words of welcome to all of you and also kind of put the program in a context of why we're doing the survivorship series. Thank you, Carolyn. I want to um, thank you for this opportunity and also extend a welcome to all of our invited speakers, our three invited speakers, and to all the thousands of listeners who are joined us for today's workshop. I am honored to be able to co-host the 10th Annual Cancer Survivorship Teleconference Series. Today we're focusing on recapturing joy and finding meaning. On behalf of the National Cancer Institute, represented by my office, the Office of Cancer Survivorship and the Office of Communication and Education, we are delighted to serve once again as an organizational partner and a co-funder of this exciting program. The group of participants 
in the survivorship series, all of you who have called in, has grown over time, both numerically and in the diversity of countries that you represent. While we're delighted and pleased with this response, what we recognize is that the popularity of this is a testament to the fact that for many cancer survivors, caregivers, and their families, even though treatment's over, the cancer experience is not, and that you will face new challenges and opportunities almost on a daily basis. One particular area of interest to cancer survivors is exploring and developing a new normal, and there's a growing body of research and clinical interest in this area. Today's presentation is going to focus on how to recapture joy and reclaim meaning in life post-cancer. We have three exciting, outstanding national experts to talk about how cancer survivors can facilitate this process of rediscovering and reconnecting with these important aspects of life and also the benefits that are associated with that process. This is very important because we're learning that there are physiological, cell-level, body chemistry-level changes associated with internal states, such as a feeling of well-being. So again, I'm delighted to be co-hosting this workshop with my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Mesmer, and I will turn the program over to her. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Paget. Wonderful words of welcome to everyone, and also putting this in the context of survivorship. And I also want to thank both the National Cancer Institute and Liz Strong for really their support of this program and championing our ability to do this program now for 10 years now, and this is really wonderful, so thank you. Now, we have wonderful speakers, and I want to start by introducing our first speaker, Dr. Keith Belize. Dr. Belize is, a, is going to present the survivor perspective. And he is Associate Professor of Human Development and Family Studies, University of Connecticut. And I, with my pleasure, I'm going to turn the program over to Dr. Belize. Well, thank you, Carolyn. Thank you for the opportunity to talk today about finding meaning and hope after cancer. I'm truly delighted to be part of this teleconference series on, on this particular topic. And as a researcher in the field of cancer survivorship, a two-time cancer survivor and caregiver to my mother who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer, I've had opportunities to meet and talk with so many individuals and families affected by this disease, and these interactions have really taught me so much about life, meaning, and hope, and were and continue to be an integral part of, of my journey. So to provide you with some context for my remarks today, I'm a 15-year survivor of two unrelated cancers, metastatic testicular cancer and kidney cancer. I was diagnosed with my first cancer just four days prior to my 25th birthday. As many of you know from your own experience, the diagnosis for me was a complete shock, and, and I found myself really unprepared for the journey I was about to embark on. While my friends were planning weddings, starting families, and making career plans, my life came to a sudden halt. I was forced to enter this new world with complicated medical terminology, strange-looking testing equipment, new faces, and difficult decisions that had very important consequences. In the years following my diagnosis, I underwent three surgeries and a year and a half of chemotherapy, and this was accompanied by a great deal of uncertainty and worry. As we all know, cancer affects people in different ways. Having cancer is a very unique and personal experience, and so much variability exists as to how people respond to the disease. You know, for some people, putting the cancer behind them and returning to the life they had before cancer is their goal. We also know that for many cancer survivors, the cancer experience doesn't end with treatment. For me, it changed the course of my life. I remember lying in the hospital bed during my last chemotherapy treatment. I turned to my family and nurse, and I made a promise. And the promise was, if I survived, I would dedicate my life to fighting cancer. 
I wanted to give back to the cancer community and make cancer more tolerable for others. So I quit my job as a business consultant, went back to graduate school, earning two master's degrees and a PhD, and I've been conducting research in the field we call cancer survivorship now for over a decade. This experience really provided me with an opportunity to reevaluate what was important in my life. I was no longer interested in making money and being a successful businessman. I wanted to make a difference in the world, and I felt compelled to do so because of all, because of all that I learned during my cancer experience. Understanding the meaning of the cancer experience was an important part of the healing process for me. It helped, me, it helped make cancer seem less overwhelming and more controllable. It also gave me a strong sense of purpose in life. I think some people seek to understand why they became, became ill. And I don't mean what caused their illness because that's a very complicated question with various levels of genetic, behavioral, and environmental contributors. What I'm referring to is an attempt to make sense of the cancer experience or better understand how to incorporate the experience into your life now. This search for meaning often takes us beyond our everyday boundaries and requires tools that have not been part of our everyday lives. Being able to explore our feelings, both the good and bad, can enhance our understanding of the cancer experience. When I was being treated for cancer, I would get a great deal of unsolicited advice from people. I cannot begin to tell you how many times people would say to me just to stay positive during the course of my treatment. At times, that really annoyed me. You know, I knew these people, including my own family, were well-intentioned, but for me, dealing with cancer was like being on a roller coaster with emotional highs and lows. I came to the realization that I didn't need to be positive all the time. In fact, it was okay to be down. It was okay to have a bad day. And after all, I was in the biggest fight of my life. My experience with cancer was certainly challenging with many bumps along the way, but there were also many positive elements. We often hear cancer survivors say their experience gave them a wake-up call or a second chance at life. I use this experience as an opportunity to reflect on areas in my life where change was needed. I now spend more time with my family and have made positive changes in health behaviors. I also now have, the, have these new skills to help cope with future life crises. While this may sound strange to some people, many survivors can and do find a silver lining in a seemingly negative experience. Oftentimes, these changes occur as a result of individuals questioning their experience and trying to make sense of it. And I just want to conclude with an important point of caution. That is, while we can certainly be encouraged by the fact that many cancer survivors find something positive out of a seemingly negative experience, I think we need to acknowledge and appreciate the tremendous variability in how people respond to cancer. Finding meaning or positive change is not a necessary part of the adjustment process. In fact, Imposing an expectation that people find something meaningful from their experience could potentially be harmful to individuals with cancer. My belief is that it is important for cancer survivors, family members, and health professionals to be aware of this possibility in case cancer survivors want to explore their feelings further. And with that, I will turn the program back over to Carolyn. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Belize, for just a superb presentation and really for helping to really help everyone to understand um, both your experience but also how what you did with that experience and also helping people to understand that everyone is different and, and that, that uh, um, what we are presenting information here, but we want people to use it as they find it helpful to them. So thank you very much. Um, 
Um, our next uh, speaker is Dr. Uh, Suzanne Leshner. Dr. Leshner is Research Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Psychology, Biopsychosocial Oncology Core Leader, Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center, <clears throat> University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. And uh, Dr. Lester is going to discuss an overview of joy and meaning in the context of cancer survivorship, uh, why do people search for meaning and joy and hope, and what the research tells us about meaning-making, joy, and hope for cancer survivors. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Leshner. Thanks, Carolyn, for that introduction. It's a pleasure to be here today speaking about recapturing joy and finding meaning after cancer. Today, I'm going to share with you some insights that I've gained from my clinical practice and from over 16 years of conducting research on the ways in which people grow and thrive after a cancer diagnosis. So in terms of an overview of recapturing joy and finding meaning after cancer, I want to begin by saying that I've heard it said that trouble is inevitable and misery is optional. Everyone listening in on this call has had their share of hard times. This applies to the cancer survivors and the caregivers as well. And for many of you, even if cancer hadn't come along and touched your lives in the way that it has, we would have all had some major challenges in life to overcome. And so within the context of cancer survivorship, cancer was probably an unexpected event. Um, for most of us, we don't know that we're about to have a major um, earth-shattering diagnosis come our way. Um, and that has big implications for the way in which we um, come to understand the event and um, integrate it into our lives. So for many people, hearing that they have cancer shakes their notions about the world. And um, I want to relate to you an, an analogy that a patient of mine gave me several years ago. And he likened his cancer diagnosis to a snow globe. Now, a snow globe, for, for those of you who aren't familiar with these things, they're these little, um, you buy them in souvenir shops, and inside is a scene of some sort and surrounded by these big, white, flaky things. It's all encapsulated in some liquid and a dome, a, a plastic dome. And um, when you shake it, um, you have no idea where those little snowflakes are going to fall back down. And so he talked about this analogy where the, um, the snow was flying all around in this little snow globe, and he had trouble seeing through it. He didn't know what was coming next, and there was this huge level of uncertainty and um, just, uh, just emotion around the diagnosis. And... Um, over the course of working together, one of the things that he always brought back to is that he was starting to be able to see through all these little snowflakes in the snow globe. And eventually, he told me that the snowflakes began to settle. And there was this beautiful little landscape inside that was very different from the landscape that he had seen before in his life, but that it was still beautiful nonetheless. And so I don't have a crystal ball, and I can't tell any of you with certainty as to what's going to happen inside each of your own personal snow globes as you work through the process, recapture joy, and find meaning and hope after the experience of having cancer. 
I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you that that landscape will probably be very beautiful. So the first question when we're talking about this topic for many of you is going to be, what do you want the new normal to look like? Um, this is why we search for meaning in life. This is why we strive to have joy, because each and every experience in life gives us an opportunity to reevaluate our lives and look at things differently. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. It is actually probably one of the most challenging um, cognitive events that, that any of us can undertake. Um, and it also doesn't mean that just because you're presented with the opportunity to look at things differently that you have to. And Dr. Belizzi spoke very eloquently about that, and I know that Dr. Breitbart is going to um, speak about that in a moment, so I'm not going to um, harp on that too much. But um, to a certain extent, the majority of us have been searching for meaning our entire lives. And, in fact, I'm willing to bet that many of you listening in on this call today have faced serious challenges, overwhelming stressors, or life-threatening situations in the past. And when we're faced with these types of situations, many of us want to understand why it happened, to see if we can change something about the way we're living, to prevent it from happening again. And these types of thoughts run through our minds. So let me tell you what the research tells us about um, finding meaning and hope after cancer and, and during the the cancer survivorship process. And this, again, applies to caregivers as well because um, cancer doesn't occur in a vacuum. We all know that um, this is a traumatic and stressful experience for caregivers just along the same lines. So one of the things that we know um, from many years of research in psycho-oncology is that there are productive ways to search for meaning and unproductive ways. An example of unproductive ways um, includes self-blame over uncontrollable factors. There are lots of uncontrollable things that happen in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. There are many uncontrollable things relating to having cancer. And one of the things that I hear a lot of people talk about is this notion that they brought it on themselves. And that is one of the first things to banish um, when we're talking about freeing up your ability to search for meaning and, and find joy and then let go of the blues relating to cancer. Productive ways of searching for meaning include things like health-promoting steps that allow you to conquer things that are controllable. So when we want to break down the different aspects of um, any event in our lives, one of the things that we can do is we can think about what's controllable and what's uncontrollable. And you essentially target your problem solving based on that. So when events are uncontrollable, we have to manage our emotions around it. Um, we have to do things that make us feel good. And when life situations are controllable, well, that's the time to act. That is the time to step in there, get your, um, your boxing gloves on, and do something. And the critical part is knowing the difference between the two. So I'm going to, in um, a very brief way, talk about a couple of steps that I think are very, very useful 
that we talk about again and again in my clinical practice and also in the intervention research that I've been conducting um, that helps people to, to recapture joy and to set themselves back on the track that they want to be on. And again, this is going to be individual. This is something that every individual chooses for him or herself. And there are no prescriptions. There are no prescriptions for finding meaning. Um, and, uh, and I think that that's a really good thing because, as I mentioned earlier, every life event does give us an opportunity for growth. So the first thing is what I call banish self-talk, negative self-talk, that is. Be nice to yourself. And stop being positive all the time. There's so much pressure in our society, particularly on people with medical illnesses, um, to be positive all of the time. And people are very well-meaning, um, but I've heard it said many times that they just don't get it. So in order to do that, be aware of these should statements that we continually say in our head. I should be able to get up and go to the store right now. I should be able to do this, do that, do the other thing. And when we have these should statements, we place a great deal of internal pressure on ourselves that's really unwarranted. Um, the other thing to do is to conduct an honest self-assessment. What used to make me happy? Not what should make me happy, again, because we're gonna banish those should statements, but thinking about the area of family and friends and activities, spirituality and religion, what things in life pre-cancer made you happy? And also to recognize that there may be limitations. So think to yourself, well, what if I can't do the things that used to make me happy? You try something new. And you have to be realistic about your limits. If you're experiencing ongoing fatigue, it's time to be realistic and find other opportunities for things that bring you joy. So to sum up, I am going to encourage everyone um, listening in on this call to create an action plan. And it seems really counterintuitive because joy is supposed to come naturally and easily, um, but that's a tall order for cancer survivors. When life has been shaken up and people haven't figured out their new normal, um, it's a time to plan ahead. And so um, two things I want to mention. The first thing is crawl back into your comfort zone. Find a coach among your support network who can bring you comfort and emotionally support you. And then the flip side of that is get out of your comfort zone. Try something new. Try something that you haven't tried before and hopefully that will help you recapture joy and find meaning after cancer. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Lester. That's really just wonderful and wonderful suggestions for our participants here on the call today. Um, so I, I can't thank you enough. It's really wonderful um, just help and, and just um, information for everybody. So thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. William Breitbart. And Dr. Breitbart is Chief Psychiatry Service, Vice Chairman, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. He's also Professor of Clinical Psychiatry while Medical College of Cornell University. 
And Dr. Breitbart is going to address how to balance staying realistic with recapturing joy and finding meaning, a few thoughts about the tyranny of positive thinking, and concluding suggestions, the nuts and bolts of recapturing joy and finding meaning. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Breitbart. Uh, thank you, Carolyn. Um, I, uh, I have the good fortune of being the, the last speaker, so I could uh, actually make comments about the first uh, the points raised by the first two speakers. And I will I promised Carolyn that I will also touch on on the particular questions and issues that she wanted me to talk about as well. Uh, Dr. Belize's presentation made me think of the difference between a scholar and an expert. Scholar is somebody who's studied a particular problem um, and is a, is um, has uh, done research and has all sorts of uh, theoretical hypothetical uh, uh, notions about how how uh, a particular issue impacts on the lives of uh, patients perhaps that they've done studies with or observed an expert someone who's actually had the experience that they're studying and so dr. Belize is both a scholar and an expert and so I think his uh, his insights are particularly valuable because he's uh, both a scholar and expert. Uh, I'm a scholar. <laughs> uh, I, I, won't, I won't speak for Dr. Lesner, uh, but also um, uh, I'm also an expert as well, having survived thyroid cancer when I was about 28 years old. Um, one of the things that I heard Dr. Um, uh, Belize talk about and was echoed a little bit in Dr. Lesner's uh, comments was uh, this issue of uh, having to stay positive. And uh, I, I would say that uh, uh, part, of, part of why that evolved is that I think when we think about uh, concepts of meaning and, uh, and searching for meaning, uh, a, lot of, a lot of what we've learned about meaning has come from the work of uh, uh, a psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl, who actually wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, that book was quite influential, uh, particularly in the, uh, in the 50s and the 60s and 70s. And in fact, uh, at Sloan Kettering, we've uh, taken some of his concepts about the sources of meaning and the importance of meaning in human existence and we've actually adapted it into an intervention which, call, which we call meaning-centered psychotherapy for patients with cancer. And we've been doing randomized controlled trials in patients with advanced cancer primarily, but we've also adapted uh, meaning-centered psychotherapy for uh, cancer survivors and for uh, caregivers. Uh, and, um, and so uh, there are some predictable sources of meaning that uh, that Frankel talks about. Most of us as human beings, uh, what, uh, most of most of us human beings find meaning through uh, through experiencing life fully, uh, through really having through our connections with others, uh, through love. So one one very common source of meaning in life for us is uh, is our, is love, uh, love of uh, of uh, a spouse. Uh, uh, parents, uh, children, etc. And another very important source of meaning is what we dedicate our lives to in terms of what we care about in the world. It's usually our work. So love and work are two very important sources of meaning. They are also uh, sources of our identity. 
uh, the things that make up our identity are the things that give our lives meaning. So uh, uh, my son, Sam, who's 20 years old, uh, uh, is a very important part of my identity. Being Sam's father is a very important part of my identity. Uh, if, I, if I lost Sam somehow, uh, uh, there would be a big uh, impact on my sense of identity. Who am I now if I'm not Sam's father? And lots of times with cancer experiences, there are limitations that are imposed on us and certain sources of meaning, for instance, our work or other kinds of intimate relationships, etc., are taken from us and our identity is, uh, takes a hit. And we have to rebound to try to reform our identity. Uh, the, other, the other source of meaning is really... Uh, a little bit more controversial, and that's probably the source of this tyranny of positive thinking. One of the things that Frankel talks about is that we can derive meaning from the attitude we take towards experiences that uh, we cannot control, that are limitations. And all of us in life experience such kinds of limitations. When you develop cancer, uh, that's a profound limitation and often it echoes the most ultimate of it in, uh, limitations, which is our mortality. And so uh, what Frankel is saying is that when everything else is uncontrolled un or uh, uncontrollable, if you're in a situation where you can't control anything, the one last vestige of control that you have is the attitude which you take towards the experience. You can choose that attitude. And so that, that's kind of gotten translated into this notion of, well, you have to stay positive. You have to have a positive attitude. And what I would say is I think that's the wrong terminology. I, I would say that rather than saying, uh, rather than feeling that you have to stay positive, I think what, what, what you really have to do is not necessarily stay positive, but stay, com uh, stay connected to what's meaningful in your life. Uh, to keep responding to uh, the uh, whatever uh, obstacles that are in your way or limitations produced by cancer with some faith that in, in the possibility that you can experience meaning at some point. So it's really the potential for the possibility of meaning. I sometimes talk about hope as the possibility of meaning. Hope connects us to life, and hope is really the possibility of meaning. So rather than staying pos positive, I would say stay open to the possibility of meaning. That's, a, I think, a better way to think about, um, about that particular piece of advice. I think if people were more articulate or more, more, uh, uh, were, were, were a bit more thoughtful, they would, they would actually use those words instead of saying stay positive. I also heard uh, Dr. Belize talk a little bit about risk, how one responds to, he talked about how he responded to his cancer to, uh, illness. And um, life gives us all sorts of things. It gives us some good things. It gives us bad things. Some of the things that initially look like they're really good turn out to be not so great. And some of the things that look really terrible turn out to be not so bad. But in general, we, we tend to have all sorts of uh, things that, that life gives us, challenges, uh, joyful events, etc. And, and, I, and I think I want to redefine re joy for a moment, too. I don't think joy is happiness. I think joy is much more of a sense of peace and contentment uh, 
and a sense of being connected to the world and others uh, in a way that uh, makes one feel a profound sense of meaning and having a place in a world that's meaningful. So that's, that's what I think joy is, as opposed to being happy. Happiness is often not the goal. The other, the other piece of tyranny, uh, besides positive thinking, is this idea that you have to find meaning in some difficult situation. Dr. Belize talked about responding to his cancer diagnosis by really re reorganizing the priorities of his life. Uh, he went from being a business person and became a researcher focusing on issues of survivorship. Not everyone has to change their lives completely, uh, and not, not everyone has to live a very profoundly meaningful life. Um, I think what's, uh, what's critical is that you have to be uh, true to uh, human nature. In other words, what's unique about human beings is that compared to most other animals, human beings uh, are, are quite unique. We're the only animal species that's aware of our existence and can, and can objectively contemplate ourselves. Meaning-making, creating meaning in our lives is a defining characteristic, and, and Frankel would have said it's a, it's a basic human need to find meaning in life. And, and another uh, important, unique characteristic of being human is that we need to be connected to others in order to survive. A fourth common uh, characteristic is that we have the capacity to encounter limitations and transcend them and overcome them and even transform ourselves and change ourselves as human beings. Those are quite unique characteristics. And what's really interesting is that it's more important to keep searching for meaning than the absolute need to find it. So what's really critical is maintaining the sense that there is the possibility for meaning and pursuing that and moving towards that direction. You don't necessarily have to find it. My parents are Holocaust survivors, concentration camp, and I remember as a 30-year-old going to the kitchen table at a, uh, and having a conversation with them uh, at a point where I was very confused about what to do with my life, whether to get married to this particular woman who I eventually got married to, and whether to stay in academic psychiatry, etc. And I said to my parents, you've been through the Holocaust, you survived all this, you came to the United States without a penny, you didn't know the language, you overcame all sorts of suffering and the death of everyone around you, etc. You must have learned something really important, really critical. You know, what, what, what's, what's the wisdom that you've accumulated? What, what, what is it all about? What's the meaning of all this? And my parents said to me, well, well, well Bill, uh, you know, your father and I, we really don't think about such things. And so what that really tells you is that there are, there are people who are natural, natural existentialists. They, they naturally have meaning in their lives. They don't necessarily think about it and say, I am now going to do something meaningful or I'm going to live something mean, meaningful. Uh, they, they do it naturally. They're driven by the love for their family. They're driven by the need to respond to the fact that they're alive and creating a life of meaning and identity and direction and becoming a valued uh, member of a culture in a meaningful existence. So a lot, a lot, of, a lot of what one has to do when one uh, has been given cancer by life is, is focus on how one responds to that. And, uh, and you have a responsibility 
to respond to it? What is your ability to respond to uh, having a cancer diagnosis? And so uh, the way we respond is what's critical, and that's where we have the choice. We have, a, we have the choice to be hopeful and to pursue meaning, uh, or we have, a, uh, the, we have the choice to not exert our will, to not pull on our courage and to live, live wholeheartedly, but to feel ashamed and to, um, and to feel, uh, and to, and to feel vulnerable and to use that vulnerability, uh, in non-constructive ways. Dr. Leshner was talking about what kind of things are adaptive and not adaptive. So, uh, I think what's, what I leave you with really is that, uh, human beings have a need, a drive to f- find meaning in life and that there are some predictable sources of meaning in life through love, through work, through what we care about, through caring for ourselves, uh, and through the attitude that we take towards the limitations that we, we, uh, we encounter in life, how we respond to the challenges of life. And uh, my, my advice is to keep uh, uh, responding to the challenges in life by understanding that what's critical is to maintain faith in the possibility of meaning. Thanks. Thank you very much, Dr. Breitbart, for what is just an amazing presentation and very uh, thoughtful and giving all of us many things to think about on this call today. And um, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Um, Well, I want to thank our speakers, and we now do have time for questions. And I'm going to um, ask... Uh, uh, Carolina to explain to the audience how to queue up and ask questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And if we do not get to your question, please call Cancer Care at the end of the call and we will, uh, staff will address your questions. And um, I will give you that phone number, 1-800-813-HOPE, and I'll repeat that again um, as we conclude the call as well. But right now we're going to take as many of your questions as we can. Uh, Carolina? Thank you. If you wish to ask a question at this time, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Again, if you have a question, please press star 1 at this time. And we have a question from the line of Marsha R. Please go ahead. Yes, um, thank you for a great presentation again. And Dr. Leshner said something at the very uh, beginning of her comments. There was a quote or a saying, trouble is inevitable. Could you just repeat the second part, please? Um, sure. It's that uh, trouble is inevitable, but misery is optional. Do you want to say a little more about that, Dr. Leshner? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Um, one of the things that uh, we all find universal in this lifetime is that challenges and stressors and um, Challenging life events come our way, and so much of what we, how much, how much we suffer, has to do with what we make of it. And so, there are times where it's okay to wallow in the feelings of of being blue and then of um, wondering why things have happened in the way that they have. And there are times where. It's terrific to be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and um, and take some action. And again, it's about knowing what's the right time for for which of those options. Excellent. Thank you. That's an excellent point. Thank you. 
Our next question, Carolina. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Pamela H. Please go ahead. Yes, thank all three of you uh, for just an outstanding presentation. In particular, Dr. Breitbart, your use of the word meaning-centered psychotherapy really resonated with me. And I was wondering, I am do live in New York City, whether there's um, a possibility of seeing somebody in your department who practices that, and if so, how it would go about that? Sure. We, uh, we've actually been conducting uh, randomized controlled trials of these uh, interventions, and so we have, we have several of these studies that are going on. And uh, people can call my office at 646-888-0020, and uh, I can give them information on some of those studies. Uh, there's also a piece in the Wall Street Journal, July 14, 2009, that describes the uh, intervention really well. If people uh, have computers and can search back that way, gives you a little bit of insight into that too. And can you say a little bit more about it, just for people from different parts of the country who sure. understand what's involved in, in terms of? Sure. Well, basically, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of a structured intervention. We we've been trying it in different formats, in group formats, and in individual formats. And basically, it's an introduction to the. It, uh, there are seven to eight sessions, depending on whether it's a group or individual. And the first session really uh, focuses on. Uh, introducing people to the idea of meaning and the importance of meaning in human existence. And some of the literature, some of the research, uh, the reason we developed the intervention is because, like Dr. Leshner, we do, we've done research on how, how being able to sustain meaning in life uh, uh, helps people with uh, their quality of life and things like that. So we have a, we've done a number of studies showing that if you're able to sustain a sense of meaning in life with cancer, you have much less depression, you have much less hopelessness, um, you have much better quality of life, you're much less distressed, uh, and so, uh, and you have much more hope, yeah. So, uh, so we've, we, we actually saw an intervention that focused on helping people recognize that meaning was this very important uh, element of their lives and that they were predictable sources of meaning that they could utilize as resources to uh, find meaning in their lives. Uh, Dr. Leshner was correct when she said you can't give somebody meaning in their lives. They have to find it for themselves. Um, but uh, uh, we use uh, some of Frankel's concepts about the sources of meaning. Uh, as a way to introduce these ideas to uh, to patients with cancer. So the, the first session is an introduction to the idea of meaning. The second session focuses on how cancer has impacted those uh, the meaning in one's life. And what's really interesting is that what people discover is that the core things that really give your life meaning, your relationships, the things you really care about in the world, um, those those actually stay constant. Uh, it's the it's a, a lot of the uh, other stuff, the smaller stuff around the edges that changes, but mostly the basics end up staying the same. Uh, and then the next uh, group of of, uh, of uh, uh, sessions focus on the various sources of meaning through through love, through uh, uh, dedicating yourself. Uh, to uh, something in the world uh, and through the choice, the, the, the attitudes you take towards limitations. We fo in that session, we really focus on responsibility, how you respond 
to some of these limitations. And then something I did not mention, which is that meaning always exists in a historical context. So uh, we actually all uh, have a legacy that we inherit from our ancestors, our families. We live a particular legacy, and we leave a legacy uh, behind. And uh, so um, the way that we, uh, the, the values that we uh, adopt in our lives, uh, the things that uh, that are important uh, in terms of uh, helping us feel like uh, feel feel like we're valued members of of a, of a culture and a society in a world that has meaning. Those come from his, uh, historical and uh, uh, aspects of uh, of, uh, of life of meaning. So the fact that I do uh, this kind of work in a cancer center is much more. It has has a very profound meaning for me because of the fact that my parents, for instance, were Holocaust survivors and uh, went through a similar experience of suffering. Um, so, uh, so the historical context of meaning, and then uh, uh, and then the last sessions focus really on hopes for the future and the transition to how how do we transcend. Uh, uh, the the the, uh, the limitations encountered by uh, by the cancer experience. Uh, the idea of transcending something is a very difficult concept. I had a lot of trouble with that. I, and I sometimes think about uh, escalators at the airport. I know that the ascending escalators go up, and the descending escalators go down. But I wondered, what where do the transcending escalators go? And then I realized the transcending escalators are those walkways that connect you from one gate to another. So really transcendence is really a way of understanding that you're connected to the world and connected to others and that you overcome obstacles in life, not by yourself, but by connecting to all of the people and the things in the world that, in the world that, that give your, 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 uh, your life meaning. So it's it's a way of actually kind of going around a problem as opposed to jumping over it. And that's that's it in a nutshell. Wow, thank you very much. It's very very, very um, helpful and very for everyone on the call to understand. Thank you so much. And our next question. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Elise S. Please go ahead. Yes, hi. Uh, I want to thank all the speakers, uh, especially for um, saying that you don't have to always be positive because uh, that's not what you hear a lot of times. Uh, but I would like to have a, a suggestion from any one of the speakers, because uh, you were all excellent, uh, with regard to how do you hope uh, that you were referring to when my husband is a uh, post-bone marrow, marrow transplant patient, uh, just his two-year biopsy, and... Uh, 100% donor cells and uh, uh, cancer-free, and uh, especially Dr. Belize and Dr. Breitbart, having walked in the shoes of the fishermen, know what it must be like. When you're going to the doctor constantly uh, for a post-treatment and, uh, you know, there is nothing to connect you other than you have a doctor's appointment with a different specialist every day, and that becomes your life post-transplant. Uh, how do you deal with that? And, 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 and get to the point where you can have the hope that all of you are speaking about. Thank you. Well, that's, that's an excellent question. I want to thank you. Dr. Leshner, could you address that question? Absolutely. Um, you know, when, when you're in the phase that it sounds like you were speaking about where there are just 
doctor's appointments upon doctor's appointments and then and so many different demands because, you know, one of the things that we all recognize is that, of course, just because you have a doctor's appointment doesn't mean that you don't have to make dinner and that the lawn doesn't need to be cut and that, you know, the telephone doesn't go out and you have to sit at home waiting for a work person. Um, and so there are all of these these competing demands going on at the same time as all of the demands related to cancer. And, you know, one of the things that, that I like to, to coach people on is ways that you can carve out, even if it's 30 minutes a day, and I know that that's a tall order because I have a three-year-old, carving out 30 minutes of a day is actually very hard, and what I wind up doing is scheduling it into my life. But some type of relaxation practice, whether you use a tape or an MP3, something that you can download from the Internet, there are some really, really wonderful, wonderful prepackaged um, CDs and, and, um, and MP3s that you can, can get your hands on. Um, I especially uh, recommend the work by John Kabat-Zinn, who talks about mindfulness and um, that is something that you can then incorporate into the rest of your day. But having this specialized time of um, that you have set aside for yourself to take care of yourself is really the only thing that, that um, I think can give you that strength and that energy to get through um, whatever is coming your way in a particular day. Now, I'm not saying that you have to use a prepackaged um, CD for this. I'm also suggesting that um, there, are, there are many, many routes to getting to a place of, of relaxation and to, to bolster yourself during difficult times. And the other thing that I want to remind you is um, think about the peaks and valleys because there are always peaks and valleys related to um, the trajectory of the cancer experience. And so during the peak times where there are a lot, a lot of appointments and a lot of things that have to get done and a lot of uncertainty, is to be kind to yourself during those and to really appreciate and enjoy the times where things are a little more quiet. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Breitbart, did you want to add to that? Uh, just maybe two comments. One is that, uh, uh, you know, when you're, when you're facing uh, these kinds of challenges, uh, we often try to seek uh, certainty. Uh, Dr. Leshner talked about uncertainty. And, and we tend to seek certainty. We want to know that everything is going to be okay. Uh, and we kind of shun uncertainty. We're very uncomfortable with it. But I want to speak to the advantages of uncertainty. Uh, with certainty, there are really only two possibilities, you know, up or down, yes or no. With uncertainty, uh, there are infinite possibilities, and most of those infinite possibilities are really good outcomes. So, and, and the fact of the matter is that, as you know, basic human existence is uncertain. Everything about Life is uncertain, and you have to get comfortable with being uncertain and, have, and, and the fact that life is everything about life is uncertain. 
So I think the only way to get comfortable with that is to understand that uncertainty can bring lots of wonderful surprises. The the other the other uh, thought I had was that uh, when you go through these when you go through an illness with a with a spouse, you're taking on a role as a caregiver. Uh, and that's very, very difficult. And one of the things that often gets lost is the is the very profound and important intimacy that is uh, that that exists between a husband and a wife, for instance, in this case. Uh, and things become focused on chores and tasks and things like that, and you lose the most vital, essential, personal, intimate aspects of the relationship and so I think what you have to try to do is try to keep that the flame of that alive uh, as much as possible so I would I would make uh, I would I would make going to the doctor uh, not just a chore but a time when you have uh, time alone together as a couple to talk about the things that are most important in your life and to stay as connected as possible in, in a really, you know, meaningful way, if I might use that word. I hope that helps. That's very, very helpful. I hope this is helpful. Um, and our next question. Thank you. Our next question is from Connie S. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, my name is Connie. I'm calling from Atlanta. And Dr. Breitbart, I um, yeah. I had... I have many, many, many questions for you because everything that you were saying, it seemed like you were talking to me. Good. <laughs> and and do you want to have a specific question? <laughs> the, the need to be connected to others yeah. to survive. Um, I, yeah. I was a caregiver for my spouse who has passed away, and then I was diagnosed yeah. with cancer. Yeah. And looking for that is very, very hard. I have many yeah. ideas of things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. But actually, getting up and getting dressed and walking out that door and doing those things is very, very hard. Yeah. And I just hard. need some, you... some suggestions as to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. I think you know when we think about being connected, we think about being connected to others. Uh, and of course, that's critically important. If you have others that you can be connected to, if you can if you can realize that you're not alone in the world and you can be connected, that's that's profoundly helpful. But what what often gets overlooked, and maybe this is the critical thing that you should hear, is that what you should never forget about is that important relationship between you and yourself. When 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 there is no one else around, there's always you. And yourself, and so and what so you need to stay connected to yourself, and that involves loving yourself and taking care of yourself and things like that. So you're really never alone because you're always with yourself, and we forget that. Excellent. Now I want to thank our speakers. You've been extraordinary. Um, just this has been an extraordinary presentation, and I want to thank all of you who've queued up and asked such wonderful questions. And um, we hope this has been helpful to you. I do want to remind everyone that this is a one-hour program and that when we planned this program, we knew that you would have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one-hour program. So with that in mind and concluding, I just want to remind all of you that you can access um, services and support from Cancer Care. We have a staff of 40 master's level trained oncology social workers, and we're here to provide counseling and support. It's free um, services for you 
and to talk with one of our social workers individually, to join a support group or a telephone support group, um, to actually um, to get some informational materials, to participate in, in the programs that we do. All of that is available to you um, with simply a telephone call away, 1-800-813-HOPE, or you can visit our website at www.cancercare.org. I also want to remind all of you that we do have another program coming up, uh, Part 3, on June 19th which is really uh, for focusing on caregivers, changing roles and responsibilities for caregivers. I also want to remind all of you to be sure to send in your evaluations. Again, we depend on your evaluations and your feedback so that we keep these programs most relevant to meet your needs. In concluding, I don't want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping as a survivor, um, in coping as a, cancer, as, as a cancer survivor. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support and we're here to help you. And we are a phone call away. I want to thank you all for participating, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may disconnect. Have a wonderful day.